in today's episode. What, so you don't think Fraser Hines is as hot as the lead actor in Outlander? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I know, call me weird. <laughs> what did you think about their overall plan, though? Um, it didn't feel like they had one. <laughs> I knew that they... <laughs> okay, let's get people to fight and then we'll use them for more fighting. I did feel quite bad for some of the men because they had terrible bottoms. I'd love to see, just have a glimpse into the, um, the Russo-Japanese war, just because it's such a bizarre one to choose. If you're having a rainy day, <laughs> snuggle up under a duvet, watch the war games, and just the joy of it just has to wash over you. Welcome to World Enough and Time, a podcast which unites Andy and Alex, despite the fact there's a world in between them. Hello, Alex. Hey, how are you doing? I'm very good. Podcasting from our new abode. Mm. You can't quite tell how posh it is um, on a podcast, but I just want everyone to know how amazing it is. It is the most amazing house I've ever seen pictures of. Not that I'll ever get to visit it. You will. It'll happen. It will. Um, you loving it? <laughs> yeah, really lots. Because it's not just got gardens, it's got grounds. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you can say you've got grounds now. I love that you need a ride-on lawnmower just to cope with it all. <laughs> it must be so hard. It is hard, but we do feel like we're bluffing all the time. And someone will find us out and evict yeah. us. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so we're now in, in Lincolnshire. You are still in, in Auckland, of course. Yeah. What's your suburb called again? I'm in Rothsay Bay. Lovely. <laughs> so you were just telling me before we started that you you just watched the Peter Cushing um, Dalek film, the second one. Yes. It's um, on... Um, we have, like, two channels in New Zealand, and one of them is TVNZ, and I've just discovered their app, TVNZ On Demand, and they've got about three things on there, one of them being the Peter Cushing Dark Invasion of Earth movie. Um, and yeah, and watched it in bed on my phone with Christy, and it was just a lot better than I had remembered it being. I remember being so grumpy about how incorrect it was compared to the original and just found fault with it all the time. But actually, if you just watch it for the hell of it, it's, it's quite a good old movie and just really quite chirpy. We watched it recently as well, and um, what made you watch it? I think it was just to show John something completely different that was still Doctor Who, and he was like, "Oh, this is odd." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd love to know the reason behind why it was made. I've no idea, like why they kind of took an existing story and made it more colourful and Peter Cushingy. Yeah, I think it was to do with Terry Nation stories and him getting money for the Daleks and to do with merchandising and him being very good business. business oh. But the hilarious thing is that the third one, there was meant to be a third one, which was based on the chase. Which okay. <laughs> I don't know the chase like you know the chase. I know that you have like chase kind of, you have chase knowledge beyond. I Yeah. I never quite got the love of it that you did. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of ironic love. But that would have been... (laughs) Just because you know where to take the piss at each point. I'd just fall asleep. My theory about the chase is that he wrote that knowing that he had a three-movie deal for the Daleks. 
because it would work much better as one of those stupid movies. Yes, because it's a lot of moving around the place and being over the top and silly. Yeah, I think you're right. It would have worked much better. Yeah. Anyways. Hmm. Um, we're going to start, I know we've kind of started already, Ogs, but we're going to start with a quiz. If I can click on the button. <laughs> oh. furious button pressing. <laughs> I know, pressed the button. I'm pressing it. <laughs> Good quiz. The quiz is called Made Up or Megloss. Oh, goodness. I'm going to read out 10 supposed character names. <laughs> I sound like Doctor Who characters. And you're going to tell me whether it's Made Up or it's Megloss. <laughs> okay. You're going to get me on some really obvious ones because I really don't know Megloss. Okay, good. That's what I was banking on. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, character number one, Vina. Oh, God. Sounds so plausible. Um, made up. Correct. Hey. Okay, character two, Lexa. That's definite, isn't it? That's a Megloss one. That's Barbara, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, correct. Oh, God. You have, you have two of the Queen's points. <laughs> <laughs> um, Grugger. Ooh. I can imagine Barbara being all grumpy with a man called Grugger, but ooh, I'm going to say Megloss. Correct. <laughs> Did she get grumpy with a man called Grugger? Well, actually, she meets him even, actually. But, yeah. Next one, Zelak. Nah, nah, that's made up. That's a, not having it. Okay, correct. Yes. Brotodac. Oh, golly. Oh, this is getting quite dangerous now. Oh, oh. Sounds so silly. Um, Megloss. Correct. Yes, I am doing effing well. Oh, that's five so far. So Brotodac, I don't know whether you know the, the, the thing around this, but Brotodac was actually an anagram of bad actor. No. In joke, yeah. Yeah. And did the person deliberately act it badly or did they get named afterwards and not get referred to? Or I don't know how it came about because he's a good actor, but I think it was kind of a joke made up, I think, I imagine during rehearsals. You've got a full house so far. Can you keep it going? Number six, Diedrichs. Oh, Diedrichs. It sounds like something you might have called me when I was younger, but <laughs> just to wind me up. Oh, golly. Um, I'm going to say made up. No, it's Megloss. Yeah, maybe that's why you called me it. <laughs> There's still all to play for. Isn't there, though? Isn't there? Trantor. Oh, God. This is so hard. Trantor, again, I can see that person. I know them, but I'm going to just say made up because I really don't know. Correct. It's made up. <laughs> Okay, the next one, Zastor. Oh, I do know a Zastor. I do. Oh, golly. And you're not allowed to choose them from other stories just to confuse me, are you? Well, of course I am, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say Megloss. Correct. Yes, winner, winner. Chicken dinner. Um, Teela. Teela, Teela. See, that sounds like a possible name for one of my children. Um, I'm going to say made up. Correct. 
Only only yes. one wrong so far, and the final one is Karis. Oh, oh, that's too normal. Made up. No, that's Megloss. <laughs> Eight out of ten is a damn good score. It so is. <laughs> I propose we do that for the next hour. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> I'm glad you enjoyed it. Certainly <laughs> <laughs> did. The best part of my childhood, all the quizzes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Park. Park. Is that a very stupid crow? It's Kalyak. Yes. Hey Kalyak, how are you going? She doesn't look that interested. I think she's tired from the long journey. (laughs) (laughs) Janet is getting a bit excited here. Janet kills all birds that go near the house. So um, good job she's over your way. How is Janet Fielding today? Janet Fielding is an absolute joy. Honestly, we've had so many kisses. She's just adorable. But yeah, love a bit of her. I'm thinking I should tweet Janet Fielding to let her know that she also exists in cat form. But, um, was it you that sent me a link to Janet Fielding at Legopolis, or was that me just randomly having a search? I don't know. I think it was you random, I think. Yeah, no, she was. She actually went to the town of Legopolis. Um, Stravalvi, you mean? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Legopolis. Oh, I love yeah, I'm going to Legopolis, though. That would be fantastic. Yes, was that you that sent me that? <laughs> um, anyway... Kaliak, tell me your news before you get bored and fly away. <laughs> She's getting quite grumpy because I've still yeah. not taken the, the piece, piece of paper, the tiny little scroll out of her beak. And <laughs> it's about the recent missing episodes, Furori. It actually is recent news. I can't believe it. Oh my it. goodness, Kaliak, well done. You've upped your game. <laughs> so um, I don't know whether you heard about this, Al, but this was the, on Radio Free Scaro with... Paul Venezes, who's in on all the, all the um, retrieving Doctor Who stuff. And he confirmed that there are a, f- a few episodes that he knows are in the hands of private collectors. Goodness. I know. How but did... the Daily Mirror... Oh. Sorry. The Daily Mirror, being the Daily Mirror, um, reported that all 97 episodes, missing episodes of Doctor Who were out there. <laughs> and it was just a question of... Is that just big fat lying? Yes. Yeah. Oh, goodness. They are good, aren't they? Yes. I miss the British press. <laughs> They're just so good. All the lovely lies. Um, but what do you think, what do you make of that situation? Well, it's exciting, but I just also feel like every time, and I'm going to be hated for this, every time missing episodes have been found I've been like when I've seen them I've thought oh okay <laughs> such a shame I didn't see that earlier <laughs> like, I've never been that <laughs> sorry <laughs> yeah yeah but uh, which ones have you excited about that have come to light well after being expected and have you actually thought wow that was amazing I'm so glad that happened I still think Tomb of the Cybermen is brilliant. Yeah, no, yeah. Sorry, as soon as I said it, I was thinking, yeah, of course, Tomb of the Cybermen. There is real joy in that. Yeah, gotcha. But that's probably about it. Oh, Enemy of the World. That was amazing. Oh, I did see that one, didn't I? Oh, yes. And they went to Australia and stuff. It's quite weird. Yeah. So. Yes. That was amazing. And 
Web of Fear as well, when that came back, that was pretty darn good. Did you not think? I may not have seen that one yet. <laughs> That's a really bad thing to admit to, isn't it? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Live on air. <laughs> but um, I'm sure you can do something about that soon. <laughs> yeah, I think I will. So what, what's come to light? What, what is now available that wasn't? What do we not know? No, it's not. It's just they know it's in collector's hands and it's about negotiation oh, and not sake. trying to hassle them and just, you know. So what, what is missing that you're desperate to see? Um, what I would dearly love to see and um, return is the remaining missing five episodes of The Abominable Snowmen. No. Oh. Okay. Yeah, just because I love the atmosphere of that story, I love how it feels. I always love the Target book, and okay. yeah, I think that would be that would be the holy grail for me. What about you? I have no idea what's missing. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd quite like to see one. Um, all the anything that has. Katarina or Sarah in because I remember them just being in my head. So the darkest moth. So many. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, no the myth makers. So, was, myth makers, of course. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, myth makers. Yeah. So just because in my head they were always just so magical to me, like Doctor Who ladies, the ladies were often a bit uggers. Um, and so seeing <laughs> pictures of Katerina, Katerina and Sarah, and they were like so beautiful. And I just imagined they must have been the best actresses ever. Um, and so I kind there's a mystery about them that I would love to see. But I think if I saw it, I'd be sorely disappointed. So it's probably quite good that I haven't. Yeah. I mean, um, but you've got good old Polska, Polly. Yes, she. I think hers, her Polly and Ben stories are the most missing. I think it'd be great to get some more Polly episodes. I think. Yeah. What have I seen with her? The Wotan one. That's probably it, isn't it? Yeah, the Moon Base. There's a few episodes of that. I don't think I've seen those either. Oh gosh, I've got a lot to do. You have. You've got work to do, young lady. You do. <laughs> I love the old Annika. She is amazing. I do like her as a. I loved reading the autobiography that you sent over. Okay, so I guess it's about time we look back at an old Doctor Who story in Rewind. Today, the war games. Gasp. <laughs> yes, that's amazing. Sorry, Christian's computer just jumped into life and started playing C music. I apologise for that. <laughs> um, I hope you didn't hear it. No. The war games. Can we not have some um, intro war games music, please, sir? We can by the magic of post production, and it is happening now. <laughs> Wasn't that good? Oh my goodness, I feel like I've been transported. Exactly. So, um, 10 episodes, Trout and Swan Song, 19th of April to the 21st of June, 1969, written by Terence Dix and Malcolm Hulk, directed by, by that amazing director, David Maloney, who um, also did Genesis and Talons, 
Oh, did he? Okay. Yeah. Um, of course, just so many important things about this episode. Would you like to name a few of those important things? I'd love to. The first time you see the Time Lords. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. It is. Um, the last black and white. Yeah. The last Patrick Troughton. Yeah. The only time that companion... Oh, no. Forgot about Donna for a second. The only time companions had no memory of seeing the Doctor, which was really sad. Um, yeah, who knows? What else? Um, I guess it's the last one of the 60s. Yeah, it's also the naming of the Time Lords, which is really interesting, because it's done in such a throwaway manner. Yeah, no, I have not realised that that was the first time, because, they. yeah, he talked about them like we'd heard and we knew. So, yeah, that was quite... Like done like a non-event. Episode six, it's Vernon Dobchev who just says, "Oh, the Time Lords," and it's like, like he's just talking about the next door neighbours. <laughs> Who's Vernon Dobchev? He's the scientist. Oh, him! He's brilliant. He was in lots of episodes of the Avengers. Oh, was he? Love him. Yeah, yeah. Always played some dodgy spy. They always needed spies in Avengers. But yes, no, he's um, he was good. So, oh, he's talking about the War Chief, is he? And says he's the Time Lord. I can't remember. Maybe he's... In, yeah, he must be talking to the security chief because he's mates with him, isn't he? Yeah, I think it's that. They're just talking about it. Yeah, I love that they have little chats like that. It's like, oh, I don't like him. It's like by the water cooler kind of thing. <laughs> Let's have a bitch about that guy. <laughs> it's really cute. My um, Vernon Dobchev story is that um, I, I somehow he came up, and I can't think how he came up while I was having dinner with Clifford Rose because I am... Want to have dinner with Clifford Rose regularly? Oh my goodness, <laughs> that is just the coolest throwaway comment. Love that. Yes, carry on. And you were saying that Vernon Dobchev had the ability of time travel. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, because he would appear at just the most random places, wherever he was filming or wherever he was going in the world. Like he'd be in Italy or he'd be in Romania, and suddenly at the next table would be Vernon Dobchev having a. Oh how bizarre. <laughs> So Clifford and Vernon have worked together enough for them to be like, oh, hey, that kind of thing. I think it was more that they hadn't worked that much, but Vernon always seemed to be there, like almost stalking him. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. How cool is that? The jet set life that you lead, chatting to people like Clifford about their lives. Wow. It's a while ago now. It's a while ago since I was doing the Secret Army stuff. But, um, yeah, apparently, but uh, this was not only his experience, it was other people who experienced Vernon just popping up. It's an ability he had. But I like the fact that he's the first person to say Time Lords. That's cool. Yeah, no, that is pretty cool. Yeah. So, of course, you're, you're aware that the War Games had a, was a kind of a replacement story. or um... No, I wasn't. Do tell me more. Okay. So, Series 6, just terrible production history um i don't know quite why but to do with writers and to do with schedules and that they they dropped loads of stories a really embarrassing one called the the prison from space or the prison in space which is all about women wearing short leather mini skirts and capturing men (laughs) (laughs) that sounds a bit star trek i I think do you remember the worm that turned from the the two ronnies yes i do yeah i think it was probably a bit like that as well but this. But ultimately, Dick Sharple's script was was rejected. Oh, poor Dick. Oh, and then um, one that I think sounds great, which was meant to be the third Yeti story, called The Laird of McCrimmon. 
Um, Goodness. And in which Jamie falls in love with a, a Scots girl called Fiona, of course. I mean, she'd have to be Fiona or Cat Fiona, wouldn't she, really? Or I don't know. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> gotcha. There. Okay. Um, in which wow. the laird James McCrimmon, the old James McCrimmon, died. And the Yeti wanted to take over Jamie once he became the laird and therefore take over a, a section of the Highlands, I imagine. <laughs> well, with that, what else would you want to do if you were a Yeti? <laughs> but be a lead. Yeah. So, oh my goodness, that's so cool. Yeah. But the writers um, were, were having none of it. They submitted a proposal in late 68, I think, and it was all going to happen. And then the Dominators happened. And um, <laughs> it was a whole bag of wrong. <laughs> And lots of that. Yeah. yeah. I think it was the um the design of the quark the quarks or the quacks. Quarks. It must be quarks. Quarks. Is that how you say it? I don't know. I'm sure it's quark. Is it? No. You're probably right. <laughs> I feel like I'm I'm there on the pronunciation of quark, and I would defy anyone to tell me otherwise. Good. With evidence. Good. <laughs> With evidence. <laughs> Slightly threatening. <laughs> um, and then you've got, yeah, it was the, the final episode. The thing they were writing in episode six, and they were like, no, we don't want it. We don't want episode six, and we're going to rewrite episode five so that it's better. But, uh, okay. Yeah, so they got really angry and it's like, right, no Yeti story for you guys. So that's what happened. But when you say they got really angry, who got really angry? Um, the writers, Hazeman and Lincoln. Oh, gosh. And so they did what? They just said, nah, I'm not doing anything, and walked away. And then how did the war games come about? So, um, well, they got Terence Dix, and who was, the, I think he'd already written, um, what do you written? He'd written The Crotons by now? No, no, that's Robert okay. Holmes. I'm getting confused. Um, it's too early here. I think he. Okay, stuff happened. Stuff happened, things happened, and he yeah. teamed, up with, um, teamed up with Malcolm Hulk, who he'd written with before. And they were like, let's do a Doctor Who story together. And they, so therefore, they did the war games. And to fill the fact that two different slots had dropped, they did 10 episodes. Let's do 10 episodes and we'll be fine. We'll be fine. Is that the, was that the only time they've done 10 episodes? I don't know. The previous record was um, Dark's Master Plan, which was, which was 12, obviously. So, yeah. Oh, okay. It wasn't the first. Okay. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know whether the invasion, which was a bit a bit earlier that season, whether that was um, was eight because of other things dropping out. Because eight is also a lot, and it's odd. Yeah, but it, none of those ten episodes to me seemed like filler. Like I really didn't feel like I was having space filled in their schedule. I felt like everything was happening all the time. It was brilliant. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, the interesting thing about it is that Terence Dix has since all the years later saying, you know, oh, it was, oh, the same thing happens again and again and it's, it's you know, repetitive. But the same thing doesn't happen again and again, I don't think. I think it depends on who you are and how, yeah, like I think I said in one of the previous podcasts how I watched it with friends and they were like, oh, for goodness sake, they're being captured again. And like, if, you, if you're not getting the nuances of like what's going on with the whole plot, it is just a lot of capturing. But that does mean that you haven't properly watched it I think because so much is going on and it's yeah I re-watching it this time both me and Christy were loving it really really excited each time and yeah I thought 
each episode was so worth watching. Yeah. So, of course, we first watched it back in February 1990. And I know that for definite because we would have watched it as soon as the BBC videos were released. I would have really? trotted down to Stafford High Street to, to buy the VHSs. <laughs> so, yeah. So, was it one of those really unwieldy double yeah. cases or did you have to buy them separately? Oh, there was yeah, well, like was, a double. No, no, they were, yeah, it was two separate boxes and you had to buy, I think you had to buy them separately, which is like, well, you wouldn't buy just parts one to would you? I'll just have the last half, thanks. <laughs> I'm happy with that. The first time they did that was with the Daleks and I didn't have enough money and I had to go and get an extra £10 out and I was like, I felt really Sort of, I got all hot at the thought that I had to spend twenty pounds. I was really astonished. So <laughs> twenty pounds then, huge. Yeah, it was correct. But well done, and thank you for um, sacrificing your pocket money for my enjoyment. I do appreciate it. So, what was what was it about watching it then? Because it had a don't you think it had a feel for us then back in nineteen ninety? Even more so than I just oh, I think it just has an ability like those opening bangy noises and everything instantly just set the scene you just you're there and you're like right I'm ready something's gonna happen and it just straight away you were in a different world and they it it had such a mood to it there was a a darkness and a reality to it that really got you and oh yeah I'm good at describing things aren't I but yeah I just felt really moved from the first moment it it was so I, I didn't know Jamie and Zoe, I don't think. I'd not seen them previously. I think it's probably the first time I'd seen them. So new companions for me was just weird. The fact that they were, she was pretty cool. She was pretty strong. He was yeah. quite dippy. And straight away I was like, yep, yeah, I'm I'm down with this. This is, this is working. And um, having the additional bit of um, Carstairs and um, Lady Whatchamacallit, what's she called? Jennifer. Jennifer straight off like they they became like I knew them as much as I knew Zoe and Jamie they were really cool almost companions to me straight away and yeah they just they gave you characters instantly to like they gave you a setting and they gave you confusion like quite quickly you're like okay it's a war one they're gonna be there and there's gonna be some incident happens in the war and then and the doctor will fix it but no that's not what's happening just like so much weird stuff is happening and you're like, why is what do you mean, Smythe? Smythe being terrifying. Why is he talking about it as a sector? And and what? And why does no one know what's going on? It was fantastic. Because yeah. I love the fact that it, that line, which just has so much in it, that's kind of like, oh my god, this isn't what we thought when he says Smythe, nineteen seventeen zone, at least five hundred specimens, and it's like, yes. what? Yeah, <laughs> we knew what was going on until that point. We knew it was the standard formula and there was going to be some shenanigans in a war place and then it would all be fixed. But no, nothing like it. It was, yeah, so cool. And when they, yeah, they go through that fog the first time. And I, yeah, I know that when they end up in the Roman zone, it's it's not the most impressive of um, Doctor Who stock footage, but it was so, like why the hell are there Romans running at us? Like, I really didn't care at that point how bad the production values were and how obviously bizarre that was. I was just like, now this plot has turned somewhere amazing and I cannot wait to see what's going to happen next. 
I love how the chariot just seems to take ages to get there. <laughs> you can just hear them in the background going, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I love that. On the, on the same road or it's on the, on the hill above. Yes, they were on coming. the hill coming at them and then they ran down the hill and they were still coming at them at the same trajectory. It was very strange. <laughs> Um, but apparently behind the scenes there was a, a, an argument about the fact that the, the person who was hired to do the photographs from the BBC, I imagine, their regular photo- photographer, didn't take any good shots of the Roman attack. So there was, um, but, you know, there probably wasn't enough Romans for it, them to be good photographs, I don't know. <laughs> Three Romans does not a, an attack make. <laughs> <laughs> And I love it when they turn up again that it's exactly the same scene. (laughs) (laughs) We don't need to shoot that again. We've done Romans once. We can just do that one again. (laughs) Like the Romans saying, come on, lads, we've got to charge at them again. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, so that, yeah, it just set from like the first episode, because isn't it the end of the first episode or is it the end of the second where you see the Romans? Oh, I don't know. You got me there. Okay, so it's early on. You're like this... End of episode two, I think. Right. And, like, you've got a whole eight episodes, but still, you're, like, straight off, no idea what's happening. And you're like, yeah, I think I can... I think I'm engaged enough to find out what on Earth's going on. And it was, yeah, amazing. Yeah. Yes. Amazing. Um, um, so the, the locations... For a lot of it, for the World War One trenches, was Brighton rubbish tip. Doesn't that sound glamorous? Yeah. <laughs> it didn't feel it. It didn't feel like that's where they were. I, I felt like they did a really good job of all of their um, location stuff. Like it really, yeah. Again, I feel like I just I I I was convinced enough that all of it was entirely real whereabouts were they for the um when they kept going outside to try and shoot people all the like outside barn area that was pretty cool i'd have to find out i don't could uh, you try and find out for me (laughs) (laughs) but then also like you've just spent all this time like in different locations you're there and then you go to the civil war zone and then when you end up I think when they first get into a, a Sidrat, 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 um, you, you're not expecting to then suddenly be in somewhere spacey. And you really are. And it's like proper spacey with 60s symbols everywhere with bits of see-through things hanging off the ceiling and panels that are really intricate. And oh, so much effort was put into creating a world outside of that of the war zones that yeah. yeah it was it was utterly amazing I, I i do remember feeling just gobsmacked at how fantastical that world was that the aliens lived in and i'd love did did that hit you as well the fact that they just kept calling them the aliens yeah because they didn't name them or their home planet they seemed almost mysteriously reluctant to, to name them <laughs> it's so it's so unlike doctor who to not give them a really silly name but it was just like no, they're just aliens. That's all you need to know. <laughs> what did you think about their overall plan, though? Um, it didn't feel like they had one. <laughs> I knew that they... <laughs> okay, let's get people to fight and then we'll use them for more fighting. Um, it, it didn't seem like... I, I would have liked there to be like a future state that they were working towards. I guess there was a little bit of a... 
a universe domination thing going on, but that didn't seem to be too important to them. They were more just like, we must keep the fighting going. They seemed to lose track of why a lot, or at least didn't explain it well enough. Hmm. Because they, they were trying to get a super army from the people who didn't get killed in the zones. Was that it? I guess, but it just, it seems like an odd way. <laughs> being, being as it kind of had the subtext of war is pointless and everyone loses in the end. Because um, you know that the people who win in a war aren't necessarily the strongest. They're just lucky. So yes. it doesn't exactly. actually mean that you're going to end up with a super army. It just mean, means you've got a lot of people who hid well or, you know. <laughs> Exactly. Oh. But also I think they're missing a trick because suddenly they're aware of a... Res- they, apparently they already knew that there was resistance within the zones. And then when they become aware of them, I'm thinking, well, surely when we become aware of them, surely they should have used the resistance. Surely they are brilliant subjects to actually yeah. be part of their super army because they've resisted the mind control and they're still alive. And But then it's all about wiping them out, which I think... It seems like a, a strategic no-no. <laughs> well, I know I, I might disagree there because the important thing about an army is the ability to control them. So uh, free thinkers, it's not really the best, is it? I think that was a really important part of it was that armies are never supposed to think for themselves and question any kind of authority. They're just supposed to go, yeah, cool, kill that thing. And so I think that was probably quite deliberate and quite clever. You are supposed to just be an absolute automaton that will just go with the person of rank who tells you what to do. So I can understand that quashing of resistance side to it. And it does kind of hold well for the future of killing everyone in the universe. (laughs) Yes, that future there. Yes. So I must ask you, how much do you like the War Zones map? It is quite amazing, and it is so beautiful that they made one. It is, yeah, it it does add, it does lend more questions. It just is like, so how big was the world that they were on? That always kind of confuses me. If you can put it on a map, is it like the size of Cornwall, or is it kind of is it an entire world? Because Part of me wants to believe it's something the size of the earth with huge zones everywhere, but because they can pop from there to here to wherever in in the space of a couple of hours, then they might have just been, you know, it might have just been a very small part of a planet, which upsets me slightly. Yes. The the pedants among us might remark that the the map is marked up in such a way that the zones aren't next to each other that that they do, like World War I isn't next to the Roman zones and things like that. (laughs) 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 and i love the fact that i'd love to see just have a glimpse into the um the japan the russo japanese war just because it's such a bizarre one to choose yes what's that about yeah that the wars that they chose were really quite random that did kind of pop up like i mean obviously they're very kind of generally wasn't all English centric but it just it did seem to be wars that you'd be interested in if you were English and I guess you'd expect the aliens to have been more interested in other stuff that was completely unrelated but no they were they were interesting choices but yeah I would love to have seen some Japanese stuff in there. Yeah exactly I I must mention a little moment when it's really near the end where you suddenly see the Roman centurion who's obviously controlling all the Romans 
um, look at his control unit, and and so you just have a glimpse of that just before it's destroyed, I think. Oh, when um, they're destroying all of the different. And it just it seemed like such an unnecessary scene, but it was lovely that they put it in. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. It's nice for completeness. Yeah, I do like that. Yeah. Um, so we've already mentioned that early on the pace is just amazing. Hmm. I don't know. It's so quickly cut together. It's fast moving. There's loads of surprises. And ending that first episode with the firing squad climax. That's cool, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I, I liked how real Patrick Troughton was in all of this. Yes, I, he does do the silly jolliness, but he did look petrified quite a lot. Like he, he really was fearing for his life a lot of the time. And he was, yeah, I did really... I think seeing the doctor actually look like he was in peril was quite an interesting thing because I was so used to Tom Baker being, you know, I can sort this out, like, and just kind of taking the piss out of anyone who had a go at him. But then Patrick Troughton was all just like, God, these people might kill me. This would be terrible. Um, It just, it really, it added something and added a bit more drama to the whole thing for me. So yes, all of those firing squad type bits did really get you. You're like, you're not quite thinking he's going to die, but you're like, God, if he's worried, I should be terrified. The court finds you guilty of espionage. For a crime of this magnitude, there is only one penalty. But this is ridiculous. You know all the evidence has been twisted against us. Tell them! The deaf witnesses have given their evidence. The court has reached its verdict. If you've nothing further to say, sentence will be passed. I most certainly have something further to say. This is all just a mockery. I demand the right to appeal to a higher authority. There is no right of appeal. You will be executed at dawn tomorrow. Um, one of those rare moments in Doctor Who where you hear um, the War Chief's musings out loud. Yes. I love So beautiful. I wonder. <laughs> exactly. I mean, to just, I can't even imagine the behind-the-scenes thing that thought, how about we do it like that? Yeah. I just can't imagine that. It just seems unlikely, but yeah. I guess it was because they he didn't have really a confidant that he could have that conversation with, but they needed that to be said almost out loud. They needed something that people would be like, okay, that's what the war warlord thinking at that sorry, the war chief is thinking at this moment. And yeah. And one thing I remembered when I was watching it with Christy, I was like, I really used to fancy him. <laughs> and he was like, What? <laughs> Badly fancied the war chief. I thought he was so darn cool. <laughs> Why? I don't know. I think he was because he was so strong and angry and he just had that. I loved his weird ass beardy thing or mustachey thing. And like he just, he was cool. Okay. No. Oh. <laughs> Played by Edward Brayshaw. I mean, I think in my mind, I couldn't get over the fact that it was just Mr. Mika running around from Rent-A-Ghost. Well, don't really um, me, because now I feel like I could never have fancied Mr. Mika. <laughs> yes. Okay. Wearing the necklace, the pendant or whatever it is, that um, was worn in The Dark's Master Plan by a, a minor alien character. Really? Oh, yeah. That was quite distracting for Christy. He was not happy with the necklace. He kept saying, why the necklace? What's going on with the necklace? It was really upsetting for him. <laughs> say, knowledge. There's knowledge in here. I don't know what knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> James Bree was quite... Um, I, lo- I, I don't know whether it was overacting or what, because obviously I love him. Like, he's brilliant in everything. But... Yeah. 
he just really over enunciated everything, didn't he? He was really kind what of. As look at all you are. <laughs> <laughs> I did find myself saying that out loud. <laughs> I know it was very deliberate, wasn't it? But yeah. Yeah. I loved his death as well. I loved how dramatic that was. <laughs> yeah. But just the idea of having baddies who didn't like each other and were all secretly fighting against each other was very, very mature, I felt. Yes, they weren't unified. It wasn't just like baddies are on one side, goodies are on this side, and then they all work together against each other. And like It was, yeah, the the inner warring bit was was really lovely. And And then when the warlord comes... I remember yeah. thinking, gosh, oh, oh, what's going to happen now? Like they're all terrified, and so you'll start, you start worrying. And he was so calm and so quiet and so deliberate. And he was like, that, that's what really effing scary people are like. They're just really, just gently calm and about to deliver the worst information ever. And yeah, he did that perfectly. I, yeah. Philip Maddock in that was just, yeah. I, I kept trying to see him as Morbius and just couldn't because. As Morbius, yeah, he was scary, but he wasn't as... You mean as Solon? Sorry, yeah. Um, you know what I'm like with names, brilliant at them, when Janet went <laughs> to Legopolis. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, no, I just found him way more terrifying than I'd seen him before. Like, he, that character is just so severe and brilliant, with yeah. no remorse as well, like... The only time that you see him start to panic is at the very end with the Time Lords when we're like, actually, not, we're going to get you. You are stuffed. And he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, that's the first time you see it. Like, before that, he's like, yeah, no one can get me. I am the Warlord. I win everything. <laughs> now, what did you make of the gimp costumes of the aliens? <laughs> I must admit, I loved them. I did think that it just it added something more. It It was important that they weren't dressed anything like the people in the war zones they had to be futuristic they had to look a bit silly well not silly they don't have to look silly but they'd had to look futuristic and in the 60s that's what the future was it was very shiny um so yeah i i thought they were great i, I did feel quite bad for some of the men because they had terrible bottoms <laughs> there was some really kind of chubby little bums in there and you're like oh God, as soon as they got the call of, yeah, you're an extra, but sorry, this is the outfit. You must have been thinking, oh, no. <laughs> they were yeah. great. Chubby Little Bottoms might be the episode title. <laughs> <laughs> Winner. <laughs> but also, I liked the, I loved the glasses. I thought that was a really nice touch. I don't know, I'd, I'd like to have known a reason, but it was kind of fine not having one. But just... The whole fitting in with, if you're in space, this is what you do. You will wear glasses. If not, then you're probably a little bit strange. And I just, they, they added something a bit more to it. I thought they were really cool. Yeah. And they're real as well as glasses, apparently. Um, you can, they were anti-blast glasses to protect your eyes or something. Really? Yes. Yeah. I mean, they look odd, but yeah. Oh. Yeah. Amazing. I but just yeah. must must mention how cute Jamie and Zoe are when they're wearing the German hats. <laughs> yes. I do really like a little bit of um, what she called Wendy Pantry. She's yeah, she was really adorable in the whole thing. Actually, she really she did. 
I remember not liking her as much as I'd like Victoria, and I don't know quite why, because Victoria just screamed. But looking back on this one, I really enjoyed her. And I'd just actually been listening to um, A Big Finish with Wendy Padbury in. Um, oh, gosh, have you heard one with her? And she done many? Some, quite a few, I think. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it was, uh, oh, the Davros one. That was it, where her and her husband bring Davros back to life. Oh, that was a really grunty one. Um yeah, and she was really good in that. She it took me it took me till about halfway through till I recognised her voice. But um yeah, no, she was she was really strong. But yeah, no, I I did find a new love for her. She she didn't give up in any of this. She was like, right, I'm gonna when she gets the doctor free, that's pretty cool. Like you keep thinking she's gonna get thwarted and obviously just at the very end she does, but she goes yeah. through quite a few hoops to get there. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I don't know about you, but when I was younger watching Doctor Who, actually, no, still now sometimes I think all the companions are older than me because somehow I'm preserved in the same body and age when I first watched these things. Mm. And I find it, like, terrifying to discover things like Lala Ward was 27 when she was Romana. Or, <laughs> or that these guys were, I think, Wendy Padbury was, like, 21 and Jamie <gasps> and Fraser Hines was 23. Just doesn't seem possible. Does it? <laughs> no, really not at all. And uh, yeah, and since also watching um, Outlander recently and then finding out all that backstory of Diana Gabaldon, really wanting to make him the centre of Outlander, when you're like, wow, <laughs> what did he do to you in that story that made you think he was to be the centre of anything else? <laughs> I mean, he was lovely. There was nothing wrong with him, but he certainly wasn't a heartthrob in there. What, so you don't think Fraser Hines is as hot as the lead, lead actor in Outlander? <laughs> I know, call me weird. <laughs> <laughs> I have found myself searching for lots of pictures of Diana Gabaldon and um, Fraser Hines, though, and she's she's like a real fan. Like, she's loving any time that she can get near him, isn't she? Like, even before Outlander, I think she managed to see him a few times and be a bit fangirly with him. It's quite cute. Yeah. Because there's that episode in the prison where he's the prison governor, isn't he? Yes. Yes. And I just, I think I knew when I watched it that that was the reason behind it. And I did find it quite, I I just kept going back to the fangirl in me, just thinking like how excited I would have been if I'd watched something, fell in love with it, and then managed to make something with my absolute heart throb in there. So yeah, it must have been amazing for her. Yeah. Just to be clear, for anyone who doesn't know who's listening, that um, Diana Gabaldon, who wrote all the Outlander books, when she came to write do the um, well, when she wrote the books, she was inspired by Jamie, um, and Jamie is the name of the main character in Outlander, and inspired by watching the War Games and Fraser Hines, um, and Fraser Hines later appeared in the show when it came a thing. Yeah. yeah. So tick. <laughs> yes. I want to ask you how how you felt. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> How you felt about the moment when the chateau is surrounded by the mists in episode eight, when they reconfigure the zone ends? I was quite relieved for everyone, <laughs> for everyone involved. <laughs> oh, we can all breathe the sigh of relief. No one's going to die today. <laughs> the reason why I mention it is just because it's just so cosy. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, but you do like you do just feel like you can just let your guard down for a second. And go. Oh. We're all all right. No one's going to come in. It's all okay. Because all the fighting stops. There's no noising. Noising? There's no noising anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Hate that noising. I know, all that noising. Anyway, 
Um, what about that moment when they return? I think it's episode seven when they you suddenly you're back at the chateau and Smythe sat at his desk. What do you feel about that? Well, I think when I first watched it, I remember that like intense disappointment at just like, oh my god, we're back here, nothing's happened, we're just like back at the beginning, and just like we've got nowhere, we've gone all this way, and we've got nowhere. But then watching it this time, I just because I loved the 1917 zone so much, I was just glad to be back. I was like, there he is, <laughs> love him. And he just Smythe was just so good, and I just thought like. I just wanted to see a bit more of him. I was annoyed I didn't... Because you don't see him on the base, do you? You only ever see him in the zone. I think you see him there once with Von Wright um, uh-huh. standing over the map and saying, oh, yes, we'll move that person there. Yeah. Yeah, so I just... I felt like it would be a shame to not see him again. So, yeah, no, I, I just remember the joy of that. But, yeah. Oh, and I tell you, I loved the bit with... Um, what do you went didn't you think Jennifer was a bloody good actress? Yes, she is. Because I just, I know I shouldn't be shocked, but it was just, there's so many Doctor Whos where you get these kind of secondary characters where they really could be better and you're just kind of willing them to act a little bit more or a little bit less woodenly. But she was a really good actress and I remember just really enjoying how, I don't know, how good she was, how how much conviction she had and her growing and learning and questioning things. And when she, um, what's that bloke? Um, Smythe's chap. Smythe's chap. Ransom. Yes. When she, um, when she dupes him. I love that. I love how, um, how deftly she does it and how she's, I mean, she's not being bad. She's just, she just knows what's right. And even though he's a lovely chap and she talks all lovely to him, she just, she manages to, to F him over, which is brilliant. Really yeah. proud of it, that bit. And I love Hubert Reese who plays Ransom. He says, not many women take an interest in the problems of supply. <laughs> it was a really cute moment. And like, oh, he was such a sweetie. It's yeah. just a, he didn't know. Poor thing. So that's Jane, Jane Sherwin. Yes. And, in the com- in the um, documentary that was on the DVD a few years ago when it was released, you have I really was irritated by Fraser Hines and Wendy Padbury saying, "Oh, we don't know how she got the part." Oh, cough, 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 because she was the wife of the producer of Doctor Who at that point. Oh, so the, oh, okay, so yeah, nepotism well, is quite annoying, I guess, but still, she she's a good So it's kind of like I bet she got loads of crap at the time from the cast about that. But she was brilliant in the role, I think. Yeah, she really was. Yeah. It reminds me of um, Elizabeth Chambers being in Tenko as Mrs. Van Mayer, and she was the wife of the producer. And I don't think any of the cast got over the fact that she was the wife of the producer all the way through and treated badly all the way through because of that. Oh, God. Um, She was just amazing. She was terrible. Yeah. So I think sometimes you might be the wife of the producer... But in fact, you're still a good actress. Yes, so. yes I think that's a good outtake from today. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Suddenly feeling quite strong and passionate about that. Um, <laughs> what about the appearance of Patrick Troughton's son, uh, and Michael Troughton, as Private yeah, Moore? I did love that. I, yeah. I, I think you probably told me when I first watched it that that's who he was. And so every time I see 
the scene or the first scene with him like I'm just it is just exciting like those links when I was younger just seemed magical it was like wow that's his son that's amazing and he might still be alive today oh he is oh actually I see him all the time in everything and it's just kind of it just it felt quite wonderful um so yeah I did think that was lovely it would have been nice if they'd have seen each other I think just in the childish bit in me just be nice if they acted in the scene together but yeah no I did think that was really cool but it's it's weird because that's that for me that scene with him talking to von Reich and von Reich trying to persuade him is um really very much like a play for today sort of scene it feels very intense yes uh, yes it is like a moment in itself that's almost unrelated to the rest of it it was there was lots going on lots of yeah interplay there that was quite impressive and my theory is that patrick troughton negotiated that for his son as a sort of um you know, this is this is my son. He's an actor. Give him ten minutes or five minutes or whatever it is to yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. Because I think by this point, Patrick Tracton was so fed up behind the scenes. He was, you know, he's more than ready to leave. And he wasn't happy with the quality of the stories in this yeah. series. Um, that I think he would have been in a strong position to negotiate that. Yes. Yeah. Right. So, do you know about him leaving and whatever? Was that all? Like, because he was bored, or how did that end? What was just the quality of the scripts was given at all in the final series? Um, yeah, oh, that's a shit. But um, I presume that he enjoyed the war games. I must read um, the or the, the biography of his that his other son did of him. I've got it, but I haven't read it. It's on the shelf. Oh, okay. No, I'd be interested. Definitely. Has um, has yes. David Trout yes. done a biography? Or not? For, yeah. Yes. Indeed, which is fine for me. Bless yeah. him. Bless. Yes. Who did? David Trout? No, Trump. not met him. You met get it him? in the post. It's like um, Annika Will. She'd signed every one that she sends out. More impressive to get one without her signature, isn't it? <laughs> it's like when I did the Tenko book and I signed them and I will always say, well, that one's worth less now. It's the ones that <laughs> signature worth so much more money. So much more money. <laughs> Oh, just to put in here that it's Sussex. I thought it must be Sussex, the locations, because they wouldn't have gone much further from Brighton, and Brighton is in Sussex, is it not? <laughs> so, yeah. Good. Yes. Um, I just wanted to mention something about villainy again, and the fact that General Smythe, there's a sort of sub-level of villainy, and even, like, Smythe is lying to his superiors. Yes, it's all... Yeah, no-one's doing it as a collaborative for the good of their race or whatever. it's Everyone's got their own agenda, don't they? Yeah. And he, he lies about the Doctor. He's saying, oh, the Doctor's dead now, so you can't have him. <laughs> yeah. Like, wow, even you're lying at your level. It's... But yeah, to save himself. It's, yeah, it's brilliant. It's real. That's another good thing about it. People aren't behaving in, in a completely honest way because people don't. People are always looking after their own needs. So, yeah, I did like that. Another character we must mention is Arturo VR. <laughs> I think I always misremembered what he said. Did he ever say, my guns are best or not? We always used to go around saying, my guns are best, didn't we? But is it not what he says? I don't I don't think so. No. I just, yeah, I loved Arturo Villa so much. He was just a bit of mental in there that you were just not planning for. You had no idea that some weird Mexican was going to come along and just start shooting everyone with a kind of gay abandon. And it was, <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic. And there's that brilliant line when he says to the doctor, First, we get the guns, no? And the doctor says, yeah. no, I, I mean, yes. 
<laughs> yeah, like he confuses the doctor with it. Yeah, that is good. I love that. Um, yes. So we're getting on towards the end of the story when obviously the war chief gets killed. Um, yeah. But sat in our house watching it again, everyone was like, well, why doesn't he just regenerate? Because he's the Time Lord. Oh, yeah, good point. Good point in your household. Hadn't got there. Um, <laughs> but then, yeah. but then, you know, it is set up, it's even reaffirmed in the episode, in episode 10, you know, Time Lords can live forever barring accidents. So is this just an accident that, you know, if you get shot, you're dead as a, as a Time Lord? You know what I mean? Yeah, because I remember asking you when I was a kid, so does regeneration mean the Doctor can never die? And you were like, no, don't be so silly. I remember you like almost taking you under, taking me under your wing going, don't be so silly, this is how it works. And you were very clear that um, the Doctor could die at any moment, but um, if he's badly injured or something not so good happens to him, then he could regenerate. But if he dies, he dies. And you were clear. But I think that has morphed over the years as to how regeneration works and it has turned into as soon as it looks as soon as he dies then really he just regenerates so i think that has changed within who history yeah yeah because i used to have a very definite sense of that i think and i'm yeah. wondering if that came from this episode where it says actually says it outright you know barring accident. Yeah. yeah so so i think it's okay for the war chief just to be dead at this point yeah. in Doctor's history actually <laughs> I'm going to come on to another thorny issue of regeneration a bit later on that my wife Marisa raised, which I love how I was saying my wife, like you don't know who she is. <laughs> I'm guessing that was for other people, but yes, we know of her. I've met her once or twice. So when it comes to the conclusion and the doctor realises, oh shit, there's too much going on here. I can't, I can't solve this myself. Isn't that so cool that the problem's too big for him? It is, and I love his little box. <laughs> love his little box. <laughs> so freaking cute. I just, I wish that more episodes with the Time Lords were started with a little box. <laughs> I just think it's brilliant. That whole little zen bit where he just sits cross-legged on the floor and makes his box happen. is just like, that is how you should call the Time Lords. That is definitely the way I would do it. And yeah, I, I did like that he was like, yeah, I can't deal with this. But I guess it's also a bit of a plot device as well. What did he mean, Doctor? Who mustn't you call? The only people who can put an end to this whole ghastly business and send everyone back to their own times. The Time Lords. Well, who are they? They're my own people, Jamie. Oh, well, that's all right, then. But it isn't all right, is it, Doctor? No, it's not, Zoe. But I'm afraid there's no alternative. Don't do it, Doctor. You can't! You know what will happen! It's very specific about the side rats. It annoys me that they're not called Sid rats on screen because that would be how you'd say it if you were normal. <laughs> <laughs> that um that they had limited ability. I'd forgotten completely about the fact that they they ex the sidrats were going to side rats were going to expire 
And that's why well, he that was, that was always in my head. I was well aware that that was why the war chief was so excited about the presence of the doctor. I wasn't. <laughs> well, you should watch more carefully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, no, I just, in my head, every time I saw a side rat, I was always thinking it was a little bit on, on its last legs. I would worry, is it going to make this journey? <laughs> I remember they haven't got long to go. <laughs> right, okay. So anyway, we meet the Time Lords. What's your impression of the Time Lords? To me, that's how they should be. I just... Everything in in the who-ness that I'd seen up until then did lead me to believe that they were going to be these aloof people who didn't want to interfere and they were just all very calm and didn't really get the realities of the world and were just a bit wankerish. And, and I just, I think that was done really well like you when you go on to see them in other ones with Tom Baker you just like they turn into like foolish little idiots and 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 yes okay people are foolish and whatever and it was nice to see some fallibility in them but it also it took away from how powerful they were to see them behave in such a childish way so when they were just so removed and aloof it kind of it gave them that look of more power you felt like yeah you're in the presence of people who they know what's going down and there's no amount of trying to convince them and anything else is going to make them change their mind they're just this is what we do you did wrong these are the rules and I thought they they were really quite impressive I did really like it yeah I was amazed about their powers I'd forgotten that they were so able to do stuff like uh, like the force field and then being able to dematerialize people with the power of their minds yeah, <laughs> cool. But then, like, you think of the invasion of time, and they're all just running around and afraid of everything. Like, they're just—they're yeah. almost powerless because, yeah. like, it's almost the planet and the systems they've got in place that's powerful. But in this, they themselves were really impressive beings. So, yeah, no, I thought that worked really well, and it—it it lends itself to the Doctor's story so much more strongly. What I also love about the final episode is um, the Doctor, Jamie and Zoe, running about and trying to get away in the TARDIS and over those yes. weird pools. Beautiful. And, yes, isn't it's it? It's like he just did it just for them. Like, he knew it was pointless, but he was like, I'm just going to give it a crack just to make you feel like I've tried. It was really sweet. Yeah, it was a final sort of gift, wasn't it? It was a parting gift for Jamie and Zoe. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that last episode, it, like, you can almost finish the story at episode nine, because that is the end of the story. And it's almost like a little bonus episode to explain why the Doctor regenerates, isn't it? It's kind of, it's yeah. quite separate to the whole thing, but it's it's a really well done one. And it's, yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to watch it on its own. And I think it was, yeah, it was really nicely done. And in my mind, I'm just, I'm, obviously we all know the love of Spearhead from Space that I have, and I'm just excited for the brilliant build-up to what's about to come. We're about to get an explosion of colour and a different guy. And I just, I think that was a really nice end to a chapter and knowing the fun of the next chapter to come was really lovely for me. Yeah. Now, what about, um, this is weird. I, Marisa said she felt cheated at the end. I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, well, hang on a minute. She says, I don't think the Doctor regenerated. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> a little grumpy about it. <laughs> she's like well hang on it, 
are you sure everyone believes that he regenerated? I'm like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> it's like, well, because the Time Lords just say they're going to change his appearance. They never say that he's going to, they're going to force his regeneration. And She says some pretty terrifying things. I know. Well, they never say that they're going to regenerate him. It's just like, oh, we, we, we're going to change your appearance. And so she is convinced that John Pertwee is the second Doctor with a different face. And there you go. <laughs> oh my goodness! So does that mean we're only on number eleven now? Oh yeah. no, because they're well, John Hurt. They're on twelve now. Does that include John Hurt or not? Because I still I'm very confused. <laughs> no, no, I don't think we worry about that too much. But um, <laughs> but yeah, isn't that a, an interesting thought? <laughs> yes. And I guess they possibly hadn't really decided at that point because did how many times when it first happened with William Hartnell did they say the words? regeneration really clearly i don't know about that one no i don't think they do say regeneration um so maybe it's just a term that came up later and then was kind of retro explaining everything that had happened before yeah yes but it's just it just intrigued me that the wording i, I think she was you know i felt oh yeah you're right that the wording isn't very clear hmm. a new body yes or a new look anyway but is it you know it's the same man i don't know it's just really interesting Yes. Goodness, Marisa. How dare she? I must be... <laughs> I know. Messing with our minds. I just mentioned <laughs> Malcolm Hulk's anti-war um, campaign here because Malcolm Hulk was a well-known communist, uh, or at least he was assigned a member to the Communist Party at some point and very red. Mm. And I think he was very much the, the power behind this being war is a game and no one wins. Uh, yeah. Um. There's some great lines from the second Doctor at the end. There, man is the most vicious species of all, systematically killing each other and all that. Um, yeah, I just, I just thought it was a really nice, or well, not nice, a really great <laughs> anti-war strong message. Yeah, anti-war message. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, love a bit of that, and yeah, and that's that, that's what Doctor Who does. It, it has the power to get really strong messages across to people who perhaps otherwise wouldn't be out there trying to hear those messages. They wouldn't, they need it really visually explained to them. So using Doctor Who as a power to explain the futility of war. And yeah, I, I just think it's brilliant that writers like Malcolm Hulk did that and made such a a strong point with their art because yeah, it, it's, yeah, it's a bloody fair point and it's completely true. Mm. I don't know whether you're aware of this, Al, but um, recently, um, well, I think it was earlier this year, um, that various sort of podcast fans, um, podcast Doctor Who fans who have podcasts that are very much more followed than ours is, um, they got together and did a Who Against Guns campaign, and they got lots of famous Doctor Who fans, but also like Stephen Moffat and various other people's, to do commentaries of the war games that fans paid for in order to listen to those commentaries. Um, for this um, anti-gun um, campaign in in the US, following all the shooting. Oh, amazing! Yeah, and he made thousands. He made thousands of pounds. Um, wow! Yeah. How fantastic! And that was started by the Reality Bomb podcast, which, if you don't listen to, is just astonishingly good. Was it called? Sorry, because I don't listen to enough podcasts. Reality Bomb. Okay. It's fantastic. It, honestly, Graham Burke and Joy Piedmont, and it's just brilliant. And it makes you kind of almost think, oh, let's just give up, actually. <laughs> oh, God. 
Well, I just watched that hypernormalization. Um, oh yeah, Absolutely. documentary. Yeah, I feel quite like that at the moment. <laughs> it's just we're all fucked and we're all really stupid consumers and we have no idea what's going on in the world. Um, but yes, Adam <laughs> Curtis is that who it is? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yes, I had that feeling as well. In fact, I didn't watch all of that one because I was getting too depressed. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, there's no happy ending, just in case you were wondering. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, final thoughts on the war games, Al? Um, Everyone should watch it. It is beautiful on so many levels. It's just... If you're having a rainy day... (laughs) snuggle up under a duvet watch the war games and just the joy of it just has to wash over you it is it is amazing and like after having watched the horns of nymon the other day sorry it it just (laughs) it's so it stands the test of time you watch it now and you're like yeah this has really interesting plot lines there's brilliant messages the actors are worth watching it is fabulous and thank you (laughs) <laughs> it has such atmosphere mm. it's cut together like it's modern tv some of it it really yes. is they don't do the unnecessary walking between places that seem to typify so much of early talk to <laughs> let's just wander over here for the whole episode yeah no it is, it's fast paced for 10 episodes it really is don't we need a winner don't we need like a character i just suddenly remembered so i'll um yes I clicked on the wrong button. <laughs> It'll do. I liked it. <laughs> That's the fun. <laughs> Maybe we need to switch to the other one in future. Um, yes. Oh, God, no. We were supposed to discuss first and then come up with a, a consensus. Okay. There's... The security chief is beyond brilliant. There is Jennifer being amazing. There's um, Von Vike is fantastic. You haven't that... talked about Von Vike. haven't. No. He plays Leela's dad in The Face of Evil, interestingly. Oh, oh yes. I, I think I saw that afterwards and was, again, thinking, no, you shouldn't be looking like that. You should have a monocle. Um, <laughs> yes, he's um, he was fab. Um Oh, there's just so many good ones. Okay, but no, I know my winner. Absolutely. Yeah. It's Smize. Smize really gets you in a way that, yeah, it was terrifying to watch him, to watch his cool anger and his, he just was so great warish. Like he just, he fitted that time so perfectly. I did not question he was from that era. And he was the one who broke that news to us that actually we were watching something that we hadn't expected. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, see, I don't know. I can't decide. You see, I would I would kind of want to put um, the war chief in because I just think he's such an interesting character. And he is. The stuff I'm he- not going to go against you. I still fancy him a bit. <laughs> I think what we should do is when we put it out on Twitter, we'll we'll get them to decide between the, the war chief and General Smythe. Is that are you happy with that? I love that. I need <laughs> to know. And if yeah. anyone else fancies him, I'd feel less like a weirdo. <laughs> well, we'll find out. Alex wants to know. 
if you fancy the watch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I think that's just about it. I think we've covered a lot of that there, haven't? Have we not? I think we, we've almost taken as long as the war games itself to do that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I know you want to run off and watch the All Blacks game if it's still on. <laughs> I do. You're like a terrible human, but I can't wait. All Blacks versus France is on now, and I really need to go see it. It's very okay. exciting. Well, <laughs> talk to you, and I'll speak to you again soon when we return for episode four of Worlds Enough and Time. Hurrah! Yay! Goodbye, Al. Bye. Take care. <laughs>